Thanks for joining us for season three of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders of Branded Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy, and I'd like to introduce my brother from another mother, Michael Shasper, also known as the Restaurant Guy. Thanks for that kind intro, uh, Jimmy. To all those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. Together, we are the personalities behind Branded Strategic Hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, technology, innovation, and capital. Uh, Jimmy, before we get jump into our guest, which is a phenomenal guest, we're super excited about this because I think it's going to be the longest podcast we've ever had because between Jimmy and, and our guest, I think it will probably be a four to five hour podcast. But in all seriousness, and I want to just tell everybody. Lost, and we just lost half our listeners, like four or five hours, I'm out of here. <laughs> we'll edit it down to 15 minutes, <laughs> all right. but it will be a four to five hour production today here for us. Brandon launched the uh, the Marketplace. Uh, we launched that a couple of uh, weeks ago. It's a digital e-commerce platform providing best-in-class technology solutions, innovation solutions, professional services, suppliers, the entire – anywhere food and beverage sold. If you are in that business, anything you need to help operate, make it a better business, the hospitality marketplace has a solution for you. So check out the brandedmarketplace.com. Go check it out. See all the great innovation solutions are there. If you have any questions or you'd like to be on – Get your product or, or your company on the marketplace. Email us at marketplace at brandedstrategic.com. Marketplace at brandedstrategic.com. That's very impressive, Shatsy. That, that, that shameless. That was sponsored by. Yeah, that shameless self promotion that you just uh, stuck in, in front of our, our friend Zama Joy's uh, podcast. Uh, well played, sir. Well played. We look forward to the marketplace. All right, let's jump into our show today. Um, I think I, I usually say, or I must always say, how excited I am about, about a, a guest. Um, I will simply say, this time it's true. No, this, this time I'm super excited uh, because Solomon Joy, founder and CEO of 16 handles is a very good friend of branded he's a partner of branded uh he's been with us on this journey uh as we've launched into it and we uh we couldn't be happier a to have him on the podcast and b have an opportunity to catch up with solomon um and share so much that's going on with his company um so solomon welcome to the hangout and we'd like you to take the lead introduce yourself give us a quick, a quick background on you and of course on 16 handles Hair is unbelievable, by the way. For anybody, if you can't see this, his hair is gorgeous. Uh, it's it's audio only. No one can see this. Oh, it's like a nice, it's like a nice froyo wave. You know, it's gorgeous. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, thanks so much for having me. Very excited and happy to be here. Um, and yeah, just to be able to chop it up with you guys. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm Solomon Choi, founder and CEO of Sixteen Handles, uh, New York City's first. Not to be confused with Sixteen Candles. Of movie fame. No, we have no trademark, uh, you know, <laughs> no association there. Um, legal department told me to say that. Um, <laughs> there, okay. Yeah. No, but uh, 16 Handles uh, started in the summer of 2008. We're actually coming up on our 13th year. Um, so a little bit about me. I grew up in, in Southern California. My father was a multi-unit franchisee of a Japanese buffet franchise uh, since the late 90s. And so I was able to cut my teeth into the restaurant business, working on weekends as a server and eventually managing one of his restaurants down in San Diego, uh, which was in need of a turnaround situation. And I was uh, 25 years old, managing um, a 23,000 square foot buffet franchise, seating for 500, um, the largest seafood restaurant in North America at the time. And so you could imagine it was 
certainly a daunting task because uh, you know he had had it for seven years. He started losing sales to competition. I was able to put on my marketing hat. Uh, marketing is what I studied in undergrad at uh, at USC, where I went to school, and was able to turn the business around. And my father said that I should probably stick with uh, hospitality and franchising. And well, that so, was a mistake, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. You know, that that led to a number of things happening. One, I was able to join a startup hospitality group in Los Angeles and, you know, helped open up and also merge and acquire, you know, seven different Japanese restaurant concepts, one of which I was the opening operating partner and general manager of. So here I was now, uh, you know, selling sushi as well as having a full bar and lounge, which uh, at the tender ripe age of, of 27 and being single, uh, I don't know if I would have entrusted me with those keys. Um, you know, again. <laughs> But, uh, you know, certainly learned a lot there in terms of, again, opening a restaurant, hiring, training, doing grand opening. And so all of this, you know, culminated when the CEO of the company actually uh, bought the rights for a Texas-based gelato franchise. He bought the master franchise development rights in Southern California. And then all of a sudden, I became the director of franchise development. So wait, what was the name of that place? Um, it was called Pico Molo. And they had, That's I think, a terrible name. And I hope he's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if it exists today. But Pico Molo, <laughs> I think it's a Jimmy. It's you took Spanish. What does that mean? Italian? <laughs> I didn't do. I didn't do well in Spanish. So. Oh, okay. Pico Molo. Yeah. Okay. I think it means like small and soft or something. So yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. No comment. Yeah. It's a but, family. It's a family show. But I was able to uh, learn franchise development there, and this was in uh, 2006. And it was right on the heels of, uh, you know, the, the Froyo craze that started in Southern California through the brand Pinkberry, which, you know, a lot of us are probably familiar with. Mm -hmm. And so here I was entrusted with trying to do sales and development. Uh, but, you know, I felt that I was selling the wrong product. You know, people really were gravitating towards wanting to open up a frozen yogurt shop because it was so trendy at the time. And here I was, you know, trying to peddle and sell uh, gelato concepts that no one seemed to want to buy. And so, you know, after a few stores... I decided I wanted out and I wanted to actually create my own brand. Um, that's always been something that was a dream of mine ever since I was a kid. I wanted to create my own brand, something that people would love. And I felt that now was my opportunity to do that. And so I left the company and essentially went to go work for free at a family friend's self-serve frozen yogurt shop. It was the first one in the country. And what was that? It's called America's Cup Yogurt. I believe it still exists today, run by Mr. and Mrs. Song out in uh, Costa Mesa, California. Well, it's a better I name than Pico Molo. <laughs> <laughs> get off Pico. Get off Pico. Get off, get off Pico. Yeah. Stop yeah. the Pico jokes. Yeah. America's Cup Yogurt, I, I believe, translates to, uh, you know, long and hard as opposed to soft <laughs> and, and small. So, you know, I think it's a, a stronger name. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was able to go in there and essentially bartered myself. You know, I wanted to learn the operation. I thought it was genius. You know, having worked in the buffet industry, I knew that people love choices. But one of the things I hated about that business was just the incredible food costs that were never easy to control because you had so much waste and you couldn't really charge people for food they didn't eat. Um, so in this case, you know, I was like, wait, it's self-serve. So it's very low labor model. And on top of that, people still get to customize and choose what they want. I thought it was a genius model. And so I told them, I said, Mr. Song, you need to teach me this business. I'm going to create my own franchise brand out of this. And at first, I actually said, like, if you want to do it together, we can do that. I'll do America's Cup Yogurt. He had no interest in that. Um, but he did teach me the business. And after three months of working there for free, I did feel that I had enough knowledge to be able to open and operate one of my own. And 
it worked out coincidentally where my father sold his restaurants and was like, hey, if you're serious about this, you know, the, the family will invest and, and you can open up a store. And so armed with a, a $600,000 investment, you know, seed investment to open up a location, you know, I was looking at where am I going to do this? And I promised. Thanks, this, dad, huh? Yeah. Between my, my father, my uncle, and my aunt. And so I thought, uh, you know, I got one shot at this. You know, I'm 27 years old. I'm single. Um, let, let's go all the way. Where am I going to do hair. this? <laughs> <Still have> great <laughs> hair. You know, where am I going to do this? And I thought, uh, you know, in having grown up in Southern California and studied marketing, I thought there's only one market in the States that I think is bigger, positioned better. Um, if I do well, the media is certainly there as well. And, you know, I thought New York City. And so of all times to join New York City and Jimmy, you working in finance for so many years, March of 08 is when I decided. Uh, Perfect to, timing. To Time, New York timing City. is everything. Timing is everything. It absolutely is. <laughs> and I, I'll never forget that. Just remember talking to friends thinking, they're like, why are you going out to New York City? You know, it snows there. Like, why would you leave Southern California? It's um, the financial capital of the world and it's just collapsed. Perfect timing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I always tell people, I said, when I moved to New York City, you know, two big investment banks, you know, Lehman, Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns were still in existence. And, uh, and, and I thought I was just, yeah, coming to kind of finance and, and fashion capital of, uh, of the US, unbeknownst to me, you know, the world certainly changed a lot, you know, for the following year. But, you know, I look at that as just one microcosm and an example of being able to just seize an opportunity, because I'll tell you what, and having looked at the glass half full all the time, I remember walking from the two data points that I had in Manhattan. And, I, and I'll tell you, this is what it was. It was Wall Street, you know, from the movie. And it was Times Square, just, you know, every year, the New Year's ball drop. Those were my two. That's how much I knew about New York City. My third would have been, was Statue of Liberty, but I realized it was a body of water and couldn't open up a retail space there. I so. think you summed up New York City pretty much. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's and more so, knowledge uh, than the chat says in New York City right there, by the way. Jimmy asked what Phi Dime meant a couple weeks ago. <laughs> born and raised. Born and raised here. He's like, what's Phi Dye? I just felt that the Flatiron District might have <laughs> issue with Phi Dye. Why didn't Flatiron get Phi Dye? Foul 54 Dye. Ye 53 years living in Manhattan. Didn't know. Soho, Jimmy, can you tell me what that means? Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Solomon. Keep going. All good. So for, for about two weeks, I walked from Wall Street to Times Square, daytime, nighttime, weekday, weekend, just trying to understand the traffic and how New Yorkers worked, lived, ate. And I'll tell you, each passing day became more and more confusing. Um, I would stand <laughs> in front of Penn Station, I would stand in front of uh, Grant. So I don't know what I thought I was trying to do, but just, uh, you know, trying to get insights into where I should open. Exercise too, I suspect. I mean, the step count must have been crazy. Oh, absolutely. My Fitbit yeah. blew up. Um, Fitbit blew up. <laughs> right, 100%. But with that, you know, it, I'll never forget, it was, it was one broker that I worked with who ended up getting me my first location. And I remember he, him telling me, and he called me the California kid. He's like, look, kid, California kid. He's like, where are you? Why are you walking around? I have all the data analytics. I can get you traffic count, demographic data. And he's like, you know, why, where, why are you walking around? And I said, because I don't know New York City, right? I know I have a concept. I know I'll have a great product, but I can't get this location thing wrong. And, it's, and it drives me crazy because most New Yorkers aren't even driving around. You know, I'm coming from LA where you have a hot restaurant. Everyone drives to your location and here everything seems accessible. So I don't understand why I can't, I need to be on one side of the avenue or being off by one side street could be a big difference. Like I just yeah. had no clue. And so I got nervous, you know, it was, it was paralysis by analysis. And, but, but and, uh, wait, Solomon, we have to take a step back for a minute. You're walking around. How'd you come up with a name? 
Oh, the name. I mean, that was that, that, I think that's the I – mean, yeah, how you found the space? I mean, oh, well, you know, it's, it's interesting, but it's really not that interesting. <laughs> I think people want to know how would you come up with the name? Because that's the coolest name ever. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, and I who do we give myself. credit to? It's definitely not you. There was definitely a girlfriend involved or an aunt or an uncle or Jimmy. Was it me? Well, so <laughs> believe it or not, actually, the working title – I had two working titles before 16 Handles was Pico, first. Pico Monty. <laughs> Right, right, Jimmy. Pico Coltrane. It was uh, Sweet Sixteen. Right, was going to be. It was one of the working titles. Um, And the reason for that was when I worked at America's Cup. I remember Mr. Song had a machine, one of these soft serve Taylor machines, Mm -hmm. out in the open by the Cup Station, and Mm -hmm. it was it was ugly. It was it was an eyesore. And I asked him, I was like, Why is this one not behind the the millwork and the wall there? And he's like, Well, look, there's no space. And so I said, okay, because you got four machines back there and you got this fifth one out in the open. I said, why are you doing that? And he goes, you have to understand something. When you're switching flavors, which he did teach me that, you know, do that every every other day or so, you're taking away someone's favorite flavor to put in someone else's favorite. And I was like, okay, so people like choices. I know that. So I said, if you could start all over again, how many machines would you have? You started with four, you added a fifth, he goes more than five. And so <laughs> each machine dispenses two flavors, right, out of the handles. And so I was like, okay, so if I'm going to start this, it's got to, it's going to be an even number. It'll be more than 10, right? And and I wanted to own a number. See, growing up in, in Southern California as a child, my happy place, my go-to place was 31 Flavors Baskin Robbins. Oh, come and, on. Are you kidding me? And, and, you know, I remember when they only had six flavors. <laughs> yeah. <but that's> <laughs> so, you know, for me, it was very much that. And, and I understood also in marketing the power of owning a number, right? And so whether it was like Unical 76 or, you know, some of these other things where the number to me is a, is a universal language. And, th- and so I wanted to own a number and again, even number having worked there, knowing that my target demographic were, were certainly females. Cause that's most of the, the consumer base that would come into the store. I was like, what's a number that resonates with kind of, you know, every female. Uh, and so I thought of, well, 16, right. The sweet 16, I guess if I was in Latin America, then I'd have to figure out a way to do it, you know, for 15, but you know, fortunately in North America, it's sweet 16. And so I thought that could be a number. And again, I'm coming into New York city Pinkberry, who was my main competitor, already had 13 locations in Manhattan alone. And uh, and so I had to think, well, how am I going to differentiate, right? And while I liked Sweet 16 for what it, what it resonated with, what I didn't like is, A, the number's not in the front, right? And here's just a, a, a pro marketing tip is for directories and listings, it's alphanumeric. So if you have the number, you know, you're, you're usually listed first. And so right, right. I was like, I need the number to be in the front. Also, secondly, I didn't want it to be a, a primarily, you know, female only brand, right? And I felt that Pinkberry, while they did a great job with that, by intention and design, that's what they wanted to do. And so I wanted this to be approachable by kids, by everyone. And uh, so if I named it Sweet 16, that again, kind of also resonates primarily with females. And so I was like, I need this 16 in the front. And then really it was just an homage to, you know, the 80s movie, you know, 16 Candles. And so when I- Lawyer's calling. Oh, there it is. (laughs) Oh, that's the phone right there, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take it, I'll take it, Solomon. And so when I thought about that movie, you know, I was like, oh, like that, that's, that's this great movie coming of age moment, um, you know, cult classic. And uh, something that people don't know is uh, in high school, I used to get into freestyle battle raps, you know, and so uh, started putting my rapper hat on. I thought like, you know, candles, candles, 16 candles. And then I remembered, I was like, I'm doing this because there's two handles on every machine. The 16 flavors, 16, 16, 16 handles, 16 handles, 16. 16. 16. So come on, Jimmy. <laughs> Come on, Jimbo. I will. And, and I then, definitely get Solomon around. And then it was born. And then it was born. And so that was the name. Um, That's great. And, and I loved it, right? I fell in love with it. 
um, knew that the name. Had no problem trademarking that. No problem trademarking that because there's no confusion with, you know, we're not right. a film and, uh, you know, there's no, yeah, awesome. no connection to the movie, um, but definitely inspired by the, by the title of the movie. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's unbelievable. I mean, that's a great story. I mean, I, I'm looking here. I mean, basically, uh, Solomon, you went from sushi to soft serve, fair to say. Sure. Right. Uh, let me just jump into because, I mean, I know you can keep talking and telling us stories. We do want to jump into a couple of things that we want to ask you, and they're going to have a chance to ask us some questions, too. But I know that uh, something you often talk about is omni-channel dessert experience. Mm-hmm. The ODE, as I like to say it when I'm talking to my <laughs> friends. Can you share a little bit more about this so our listeners who are, who are you know, can understand a little bit what this means, the ODE? The ODE, yes. Um, actually, that's what I need to start referring to it as. Maybe we should trademark that. So <laughs> – Look, I think one of the things I learned very early on in New York City operating this business was this idea of on-demand and people expecting and willing to pay for something uh, that they want was very rooted into a New Yorker's lifestyle, right? And so even I remember like even in the winters, you know, people would call up the store when I was working. They'd be like, do you guys deliver? And I'm like, no, like, why, why would you why would you deliver soft serve? You got to come in. You got to make it yourself. That's our concept. And you hear this enough times from your consumers, you're going to quickly realize that you're missing out on business or someone else will figure it out because they'll get tired of you know hearing you say no and then they'll go do it. So, you know, I thought like, well, why don't we deliver? And there, you know, at that time there was, uh, you know, there was Grubhub, there was Seamless, there was these, you know, third-party delivery providers. And so I remember reaching out to them and, and getting on those platforms. And so, you know, for 16 Handles, we're, we're turning 13, but we've been doing delivery for over eight years, right? And so we've, I, I quickly figured out how to do it operationally without, you know, having it turned to suit. Wait, who was doing your delivery for you back then? How were you doing that? It's interesting. Yeah. So back then um, we had our own delivery drivers mm-hmm. as well as, right. as well as the drivers that were, uh, that were brought on by these companies, you know, the, the, the gig economy drivers um, that right. would show up. And so um, now fast forward, you know, we, in New York city, at least we use a company called relay, you know, who acts as our you know, last mile delivery courier service and they do a fantastic job, but we're still on those platforms. But Getting back to kind of the omni-channel, what I realized is these people were going to the websites, right? They weren't calling in anymore. You know, those calls quickly diminished, and now these online orders were happening. So I realized that discovery for our brand in our markets were being were being made online, right? So it was a digital experience first, even though I, I created this primarily, you know, engaging in-store retail experience. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, hmm, okay. And, and that's no different than, you know, what we're used to now. You know, whether you're searching for something, a consumer product on Amazon or um, whatever it is now you're, you're checking online. But back then, I, I realized like, hey, this is huge because if it's not just the billboard on 2nd Ave or in the Upper East Side that's, that's driving people in and now people could be somewhere else in their office, right? Or in their, they could be on a toilet in their home and they're on their phone and they're looking up dessert and I can pop up and, and I can have a transaction and they didn't even step foot into my store. I thought that is amazing. And I realized then that we really needed to start investing into our digital presence, right? And in the beginning, I thought, well, yeah, we're going to do that because of franchising only. But then I quickly realized that that entire guest experience could live online only, right? Like they would never foot, step foot into my store. And so knowing that that was the case, I realized then that I needed to have, again, you know, what a lot of retailers will call this omni-channel approach of if it's an entirely digital experience, the physical being only the physical product that they receive, you know, how do I influence and create a, a great and engaging experience there online? Because I already had the in-store figured out, right? And it's not about, it's not to say one's more important than the other. They're both important, 
if anything, what COVID taught was that without that, you know, omni-channel and digital experience, we wouldn't have had a business. Um, right. I mean, so wait, so Salman, because I want to, I want to stick with the delivery, uh, and then I do want to ask a question about your tech stack. Um, but I was shocked when I understood just how meaningful your delivery business was. And let's go pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. What percentage of sales of some of your stores came from delivery? So pre-pandemic, so we'll use 2019 as that base year. Yep. Our New York City stores were 20 to 30% delivery. I found that to be amazing because if you would have said- yeah, I would have if, never thought people ordered delivery for yogurt and ice cream. If you would have said to me that soft, you know, ice cream and soft serve yogurts and stuff, you know, you would have said to me, oh yeah, delivery. I would have like, who the hell is ordering this ice cream and not expecting it to come in a soupy kind of way. But, but not only did you solve that, but I was just so wowed by what a meaningful percentage of your sales delivery was. You were kind of alluding to it, but you know, you and Brandon, we share a, a similar ethos of, of the embracement um, and the understanding of the criticality around tech. And I think you were kind of describing that, but, but when, you, when you think about tech, how, how important has been embracing tech for you? And then maybe if I think about from where you started to where you are today, how has your tech stack evolved? Yeah, great question. So, you know, I've always been an early adopter of kind of digital tools, technology. When I started my business in 08, I didn't even have um, social media handles, you know, for, for, for the restaurant. And it was the NYU students in East Village that were my loyal fans that taught me how to do that, you know, created my Facebook accounts for me. And um, I used things like polling and other features back before you had to pay to play, you know, to get to get the engagement. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. That's how I communicated. So I, I, I quickly realized that, hey, I don't have much of a marketing budget as it is, which is probably true for a lot of, uh, you know, for a lot of operations. And I thought I'm going to invest here because here I know the dialogue is real. They're real people. They are my customers and they're probably helping me get more customers. Um, you know, I remember taking an ad out just in a, you know, kind of traditional paper when I, when I first moved to these village and opened up and I had no idea I couldn't track, right. How, how well it was. I didn't put a coupon sure. code on there. And so, Right. Even then, just starting with those digital tools, I realized, hey, this helps me scale. I'm still able to work my, you know, 12 hour shift, you know, at the restaurant, at, at my store, but but know that in the back, you know, in the in the background, that there's marketing going on and conversations happening. And so that was like the early early start of that. I remember from a loyalty standpoint, right? Because I knew that loyalty would be big. I started with stamp cards, right? The punch cards, kind of what, right. what yep. was typically available. And even with that, just the evolution of going to, you know, a hard magnetic stripe card, you know, getting their phone number as, as mobile was, uh, you know, becoming more and more prevalent. These th- these evolutions taught me that, hey, I can get closer to the customer and understand their behavior. Because again, with a punch card, I feel like it's, it's a one way, it's a one way benefit, meaning the consumer will get his or her, you know, credit 10th cup free, whatever it was, but I have no idea who that person is. You know, right. right. And and I have no way so, of communicating. So you move from the punch it. card and then what I mean loyalty is the big buzz today is everybody's talking about loyalty, loyalty. So what kind of solution is it now? Is it a mobile loyalty platform? I mean, are you still using punch cards? Is it a is it like a credit card where you stick it in? Is it a uh, you know, the thing like uh, a QR code? How do you do loyalty now at all your stores? Yeah, so what we do is actually uh, our most loyal guests, we ask them to embed RFID chips underneath their skin. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's part. See, that's that's the way. That's the future that's right the there. Future. That's what Amazon's doing. That's I got I got mine right in my neck. <laughs> I can buy anything at an Amazon store because it's it's right there. My no, credit card has been embedded in my neck. That evolution went from and and it has stayed mobile, right? And so it's QR code based. Um, mm-hmm. We were the first franchise organization, at least in New York City, uh, to work with a company called Level Up. 
you know, which is now owned by uh, Grubhub. And mm -hmm. so I remember even back then, you know, working directly with the founder CEO just to see how we can use this in a franchise setting. And, um, and that was great, right? So now customers carrying their phone around can scan in, get the loyalty, get their points. And I have also, I have access to them as well. And so it was, it was a two-way two -way communication street. And that evolved. And so the technology is still very similar. We're still on mobile QR code base, but working with an, uh, a company called Lunchbox now that, uh, that powers that. And so, yes, we are, uh, we are entirely mobile um, in terms of our, our loyalty program, and that's worked well for us. Um, we've also added, again, the ordering online and the delivery features on that same app. And so they don't need to now jump from the loyalty app to a delivery site or to our website. And so once again, you know, with technology, the, the biggest thing that I've learned is if you can use it to do two things, then, then, it's, probably a, then it's probably worthwhile to look into. One is... Can you do more? Meaning, can you scale what you're able to do to, for a customer um, with fewer people, right? And secondly, it's can you remove any other hurdle or restriction that otherwise may change the consumer's mind? We look at how we shop today online, right? And mm -hmm. we hate getting those pop-up ads. We, we, there's hacks to do everything, right? I, I remember even for my email, I enrolled in something called thing like Unroll and they'll essentially like block a lot of the spammy and, and unapproved emails uh -huh. from even landing into my inbox. And so I think right. we're now more on the defensive of, I need to go online to, to, to order and to consume, but everyone's trying to get to my eyeball, right? And so, yes. um, so with that, again, I think removing any hurdles where they don't need to add another credit card number, fill out another form, jump to another page, like those, those touch points, those triggers. It's, it's friction, man. It's friction. Wants friction. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, it's an ongoing process. It's not like we figured it out perfectly, but the evolution over the years has been how do we become, yeah, how do we remove more and more of those friction points? And yeah, uh, I think like Starbucks, I mean, not to give them a big plug, but I am a big fan. I mean, I love what they're like. They've created a really easy way of ordering and getting your points and, and the rewards and communication. It's just, it's, it's terrific. So it's something like that. I think everybody needs that kind of, uh, you know, thing. It's just, uh, there's got to be solutions out there that, that the little guy can get. Everybody can't do what Starbucks did. I mean, I, I suspect they spent at least uh, $100,000 on that system. Right, Jimmy? This, seg <laughs> this segment of today's podcast is sponsored by Starbucks. Um, actually, in all seriousness, I haven't been anywhere uh, pre-pandemic. Chats, you can't go anywhere without stopping at a Starbucks. He's ordering. He's pre-ordering. He's got a Starbucks right now. So, yes. Yeah, he's got uh, right now. Shatsy, we, we know you love you your stuff. reach out to them. Right? That, that should be a sponsor for us. It, it, by, by the way, Shats, at this pace, absolutely. But, but since we're doing it for free, why would they sponsor us when we're giving them the sure. shout-out? All right, listen. I want to shift, and I want to I quote. Uh, something a very wise, uh, very wise man uh, once said uh, for avoiding to doubt. It's not Chatsy. Uh, but this gentleman famously sang when referring to New York City, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Um, you've talked about New York. You talked about, you know, Wall Street. Who said that? Is that Sinatra? Yes, Shatsy, you and everyone else got that, but everyone else got it before you just figured it out. Um, <laughs> if you talked about Wall Street, you talked about Times Square. Well, here you are. You just made your mark, um, even a bigger mark, I should say, with your newest location in Times Square, um, one of the most iconic uh, parts, not just of the city, but pre-pandemic, the number one tourist attraction in the world in terms of, yep. of how many people would come, not just to New York, but specifically to Times Square. So you've made it. You're there. You got this uh, new home. Um, I think some people would be surprised to know your average revenue per location is, is about a million dollars. Tell us about operations in Times Square so far. Uh, will the new location surpass your other averages? What are you thinking for this, this, uh, this landmark location for 16 Handles? 
Yeah, I mean, it honestly, it, it felt like a dream come true. You could imagine that being one of the data points, you know, endpoints of where I was traveling for those two weeks and I was scouring the streets of New York City um, only to, you know, open a store there recently. Yeah, I, I couldn't have dreamed that. You know, when I looked at the rents over the years, that they just never made sense. And the reason why you have a lot of, you know, multi uh, multinational brands that are there for that reason Um we can proudly say that we are the only frozen dessert, you know, available there in Times Square. I remember the uh, the flagship Cold Stone Creamery that was there on 42nd Street, even when they closed, um, I believe they closed pre-pandemic. But the opportunity there in terms of what that means from a global stage, I think is, 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 mag- you know, is magnificent. But this all happened because of what the real estate market was during the pandemic. And I think for us, it's very much looking at the power of what New York City means, you know, to travelers, to eyeballs, to media, to brands, and just knowing that we're investing for the future. Now, you mentioned you mentioned the the average unit volumes and uh, and and that location specifically. Yes, I mean our New York City stores um, traditionally have have done um, you know north of a million dollars on on average sales, and that location there today um, is, is not hitting those numbers. It's only been open for a couple of months. You know, Times Square isn't fully back yet. I know mm-hmm. that the other full service restaurants there have recently, um, you know, been reopening. Uh, Barclays, who's directly across the street from us, you know, they're they're still primarily work from home. So I think it's an investment to the future, mm-hmm. right? I do. What kind of what kind of business do you think a store like that can do? You know, I, I would anticipate that it would do at least double of what uh, you know mm-hmm. what our what our location right. is doing, and that would probably be a base case scenario. Um, but Great. Uh, that's you know, exciting. But you are so right. I mean, that is just the. The free publicity, the free advertising you get from being in Times Square, man. I mean, that's why everybody paid such great rents. I'm, I'm hoping that you got a good deal. I mean, I hope the landlord's not listening. But I hope you. <laughs> no, I want to definitely say thank you to the landlord as well as my franchisee who was brave enough to step up to that opportunity. You know, that's actually not even a corporate. Jimmy, we have a special guest right now, Solomon's <laughs> landlord. Hey, come on in, come on and join us here. <laughs> hey, no, that's really unbelievable. You know, Solomon, I got to tell you, it's been a, for for us in operations. Uh, in restaurants and hospitality, it has been, needless to say, a crazy, crazy year and a difficult year and many a sleepless nights. And and and, and I was popping Nexium. Uh, I was doing like four or five pills a day uh, for my stomach. Right now, uh, where we are today, uh, what's keeping you up at night now with regards to outside of the, the, the I know you got a couple young kids. So outside of the kids, uh, what's keeping you up at night when it, with, with respect to uh, where we are in business and and and, and those kind of things? Yeah. So what's keeping me up at night is just trying to manage consistency across the brand. Um, mm. You know, we don't have field people out there visiting stores. You know, it's been a while, right? It's been over a year since we've been doing that. Um, I've had the opportunity and the pleasure of meeting with some of our operators, you know, throughout the pandemic. But for the yeah, most part, I saw you in a couple of social media posts. You were you were making some rounds. Yeah. You know, and, and we try to do that, you know, want to be sensitive. Um, but at the same time, just we have we have business, you know, we we have to conduct business. We have to grow. And so managing the communications as well as just the consistency across stores, both from a product standpoint, training, um, all of that, it's much, it was much more challenging to do. And all, the, and all the protocols of just making sure the franchisees were following the safety standards and guidelines because it's your brand at stake there. And people, you know, they don't know that. And they're, they're going to blame you if, if somebody's not doing it right. Correct, correct. And I, and I have to say, I mean, huge shout out to my franchisees for really stepping up. Um, you know, I'm proud to say some of our stores, like, and I'll give a quick shout out to our Fairfield, Connecticut location, their numbers are comping up double digit um, over 2019 numbers, right? And they were there at the forefront. I believe they didn't even close during the pandemic. 
but they just had so much goodwill from the community. They're going on their 10th year anniversary as well. And, awesome. and their sales are just going back. You know, they're going through the roof. And so to me, I think the level of commitment that our operators have shown, you know, it, it's shining through, right? And so for us to see going into this summer, you know, as, as more and more people are being vaccinated, and I do think that Times Square will be busy, um, or at least busy-ish this summer because of domestic travel when the kids are on break and maybe they're not necessarily comfortable or ready to go um, on, on trips abroad. I do think that domestic travel specifically for New York City is going to go Couldn't up. agree with you more. And, so yeah. New York City is still New York City. It's the greatest place, greatest city in the world. It's the it's the capital for hospitality, for everything, food and beverage, 100%. So everybody from all over the country, book a ticket right now. Uh, Expedia.com and and, and and humility, and we're also we're also leading the uh, leading the world in humility. Is that what you're saying, Shatsy? Um, Come on, Jimmy, <laughs> you've been born and raised here. I know. I just don't have to. I, I don't have to talk about it so much. I, I know what we are. I know we'll be okay. I'm from New Jersey. Jerry, oh, yeah, Jerry, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, Jerry, yeah, yeah. Jerry wrote my piece for me. He he, he let it be known. Um, Long term greedy. We'll be back uh, before we close out uh, the Q and A. Uh, and we've been talking about it. And you give great, you've shown great appreciation and respect for your franchises um, and the operators. Um, you've really had a, a a tremendous success leveraging um, the model that you you know as your dad had directed you. This was your future. Tell, can you share with our audience what are your plans for continued expansion? You've been leveraging the franchise model. What's next in terms of your growth, um, as particularly as we're coming out of this pandemic? Yeah, great question. Um, so we just recently hired a VP of operations and franchise development. Um, to be honest, for the last five years or so, it's it's been pretty stagnant in terms of our development just because of uh, a lot of life changes. My CFO and I, uh, you know, we both got married, had a couple kids, um, and now I feel like it's the time to, to strike again. You know, again, I started this business in 08. So while it's not apples to apples, a lot of similarities, right? Sure. High unemployment, um, you know, a lot of question marks around retail and, and the shift in consumer behavior. But to me, there's also a lot that smells and looks very similar. And so being able to go aggressive now, both with, you know, tightening up operational um, excellence as well as, as, as well as franchise development. Again, there, there's a lot of retail spaces available. Right. And I think uh, that's that's true for most parts of the country. So I think um, in seeing how even when I look at a lot of my competitors, I, I don't see a lot of movement or action there. Right. Um, and so I think this is our time to once again kind of have another rebirth and, and be able to become the national brand that we were you know, destined to become. So I'm, I'm very bullish for you know, 2021 being that breakout year. Um, our, our, our tech stack and all of our you know, suppliers and vendors who, who help us um, allocate our resources to collect the data, to use it, to connect with our customers. Um, I think they're, they're going to continue to make it easier for us to do that, where I don't need to build a huge team yeah. in order to achieve those goals, uh, yep. just because there's so many more solutions than there were back in 2008. And I'll tell you, man, I agree, man. I think you know, we always, Jimmy and I are always talking about the 20s. This is going to be the roaring 20s. And I just think that, you know, 16 handles and, and, and your product and your color schemes and the stores, it's fun. It makes you feel good. And I think people right now are looking for, they definitely want to, to feel good. And, 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 and everyone loves a, a frozen treat. And I think, I think you are spot on. I think that you got to be all over the country uh, and fast because I think people will really love it. I think that's exactly what we're going to see um, 
from Solomon and 16 handles. I, I think you're going to see a tremendous growth. It is a great product. It is a great concept. Um, 1-800-FRANCHISE right now. <laughs> 1-800-FRANCHISE right now for Solomon Toy 16 handle franchise. Very excited to see this next chapter. All right, listen, we uh, we launched the podcast because uh, Shatz and I really enjoy, uh, you know, talking to other people and, uh, you know, learning from them and then bringing making these fun guests. Of each other. Making fun of each other and bringing, our, bringing these guests uh, to our subscribers. Uh, however, we also learned um, through our first two seasons of the Hangout uh, that our guests also have questions, and they'd like to kind of uh, to, you know, take a shot at us. So for season three, uh, our newest segment was called is called Talking Back, uh, and we allow or offer our guests a chance to ask us questions. Uh, nothing is off the table. Um, so Solomon, the microphone is yours, sir. Great. Well, I know that uh, you know between the branded marketplace and just a lot of the different uh, tech solution providers that you've um, invested in as well as have you know are interacting with on a daily basis there's so many areas right we talked about loyalty um, we talked about um, uh, you know being able to scale you know through using data what areas within specifically hospitality and operations do you think has is, is the is the big opportunity to be able to again, kind of disrupt to make more efficient. Obviously, within our restaurant operations, there's a ton of, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's inventory management, front of house, labor management, and, and I'm sure we could name off half a dozen vendors for each one. But where do you think, specifically as a result of the pandemic and what it's done for human behavior, where do you think that the big, the big moments are going to come from? What areas specifically? I like it. I like it. Great question. Shatsy, our restaurant guy, you're going to jump in there. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to tell you, right now, I think it, it it just seems to me that the buzzword eh, and wrong. Thing, what? Wait, what did you say? <laughs> eh, wrong answer. Wrong answer. Uh, Jimmy, you tell me the right answer. No, uh, I I think it has to be at this point with uh, everything I've seen. Um, it's the virtual ghost kitchen, cloud kitchen thing. It's it's what is that going to be? Where is it going? What is it? Is it? A restaurant with extra capacity that's now selling four different concepts out of his restaurant, but the brand outside is, you know, Bob's Pizza, or maybe not Bob's, Joe's Pizza is probably a better word, and, and he's selling, you know, all these different things online. Is it just this commercial dark kitchen that no one sees in a bad piece of real estate that no one has any, you know, there's no branding, and there's 30 brands just coming out of there, moving around? There's a lot of different things. It means a lot of different things. I just think that is... I don't have the answer. I don't know what it is. I see a lot of stuff. So I would say it's got to be around that. What do you what do you think? Well, I think that Shatsy is a uh, I, I respect your answer. Um, it's uh, wrong, but I respect it. I, I respect <laughs> it. Uh, how, eloquent, how eloquently you uh, describe the importance. I think what you're trying to say is breaking the four walls of the venue and expanding out into the more off prem and the delivery and the virtual restaurants and ghost kitchen concepts, commissaries, otherwise. I think that's it's. I think you're certainly on point with we look. Brand has taken the position that that the virtual restaurant is going to represent fifty percent of the restaurants by the end of this de decade. Um, I, th I think that's a pretty aggressive um, uh, assumption we're making, our prediction. We'll see how it plays out. But I'll just I'll – I'm going to offer something different to your question, Salman, not because I think it's better or worse um, than what Shatsy just put forward. I'll just say one of my observations coming out of the pandemic is the importance of customer engagement. 
and the voice of the customer. And in an era where we're leveraging tech and really, you know, people are using their phones and uh, devices uh, to really uh, to order and pay and the experiences to me, giving the customer a voice um, is something that we think is really important um, and giving them the opportunity to engage with the restaurants. So we've been working with companies uh, like an ovation um, and also like a young Can I Pingo. change my answer? Can I change my answer? You should just say ditto. What you should just say now I mean, is can ditto. I, I, I want to go with what Jimmy said. Yeah, there you go. That's I, a, I agree. Customer engagement. It wasn't ghost kitchen. Damn engagement. it. Damn it. I got it wrong. Damn it. Um, damn it, Jimmy. But I think, again, I, I and while we backed uh, two companies, there, there are others out there. My point is this. I think um, the, the, the customer is going to want choices. They want optionality and they want to be heard. And we as an industry are going to have to do a better job. And I think we are doing a better job of anticipating what it is they want because we're listening to them. So that to me is a big thing coming out of the pandemic. Well, that's a great segment. It's the top of the tech stack. So Jimmy's talking <laughs> engagement. Um, <laughs> Solomon, talk to me. What is the most, if, if you had to give recommendations <laughs> to operators out there today, right now, what areas of hospitality technology is, is do you recommend it's, it's, it's the top of the stack. It's the most important. And obviously uh, don't say point of sale system. <laughs> well, the point of sale system is important, right? It's kind of the mothership <laughs> that drives everything. Um, and just said, all, don't say point of sale system. Sure. So outside of that, outside of the POS, yes, right? yes. Um, I, I would, I would also tend to agree with uh, what, what Jimmy said. I do think that being able to capture guest sentiment and then mm. be able to take, Yep, um, Jimmy wins again. Steps. Damn it! To be able to take actionable steps, you know, I'll, I'll I'll give you an example. We're we're talking to one vendor who, you know, really kind of disrupts the old old school mystery shop program, right? Which which mm -hmm. all of us are very familiar with, where we get mm -hmm. very few data points, um, you know, and and while you, you you can get some rich data from a traditional mystery shop, nothing nothing wrong with that. It's very difficult to take that and then turn that over to your general manager or your operations team and say like, here's all this data, do something with it. See, because one of the things I learned throughout all this process and evaluating is that the tools are only as good as how well they're implemented and you can actually then extract value by doing something, right? And in this right. case, mm -hmm. if it's capturing guest sentiment, right? Getting them from, you know, maybe a, 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 turning a negative experience into a, a positive one or saving that, that's, that's, that's always been around in the restaurant industry. You know, when I was doing, you know, sit down tables, that's what it was. That's why you had that touch point <laughs> of the general manager walking around doing table touches, right? Like, right. It, it, but again, how do you scale that, right? So that's where the digital tools come in. But again, this is where I think some of the uh, companies are doing a better job than others. It's how do you make it so easy then for your staff to yeah. actually take that? Because they're not going to sit there and be like, oh, there's all this data, right? They're like, I got to get these customers in and out, right? I, I need to get through my shift. I need to make sure I don't burn this or... But what can I actually focus on that will align with, you know, what the company's uh, goals are? And at the end of the day, everybody wins, right? I'm doing a better version of my job as, a, as an employee. I'm providing a better level of service to the guest because the guest is telling me how to do that. And meanwhile, mm -hmm. you know, it's not impeding with what I need to do to get through the day. So to me, yeah. like closing that gap, right? Because you, you, you have a 12... You have a twelve-point uh, action action plan like that. That's a whole other job. And what other what shift is going to actually then you know go go through making sure that all those things are knocked off. So I do think like making it very easy to take those actionable steps and then being able to measure that and see that okay the next week the next yeah. month look we made an yeah. improvement. Hey, there's probably a correlation to sales and, and guest satisfaction. To me, it's it's yeah. making it so easy that you unfathomably can't deny right that that's what it is and it make and then everyone gets pride in that and and you're you're happy paying the vendor for allowing you to be able to do that.
I love that. And again, you, you talked about friction. And I think um, a lot of people who are not in this industry just don't understand or they really should under, they should try to learn how important it is to make these things as frictionless as possible. Um, but again, that's a great point. Um, I want to jump into our crystal ball moment. It, it's, it's, you know, it's our time, um, or rather it's your opportunity to put uh, your Kreskin or Miss Cleo hat on and predict the future. So Solomon, how do you see restaurants and dining two years out? Because in this current day and age, two years out is a lifetime. But how do you see uh, restaurants and dining two years out in relation to hospitality and technology? So I think two years out, the norm is going to be you're going to be talking to other operators and, and really talking about that, right? You mentioned this word tech stack. And, you know, for those who maybe have only started looking into it for the first time, it can seem like a daunting task, especially if you don't have a good tech stack or you don't know where to begin. Um, and once again, I'll, I'll plug it in. I think the branded marketplace is a great place to go to check that out because I had to I was about out. to say the branded marketplace. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's a, it's just a, an, an incredible tool because for those who maybe or keep hearing this and they, but they're like, it's, it's, it's just insurmountable. Like, where do I even start? I think that people will be able to say, great. It's mine looks like this, right? It's like, here's mine. You know, can you show me yours? And I think there'll be a lot yeah. more conversations around that. I do think that there'll be uh, more and more consolidation of service providers, specifically, mm -hmm. you know, SaaS platforms, because we're getting to a day and age now where similar to a consumer who views things, right? It's like, you have your Netflix account, your Hulu, Disney. I'm like, I cut cable and joined one of these so that I didn't have to pay all these enormous fees. And now I'm paying for all these different fees to essentially get something similar. So I, I think we're, we're seeing that just as a consumer with our entertainment. Um, I, I'm starting to see that now, even with the tech stack solutions that are out there where there's a lot of overlap. And I think that needs to be tightened up and will be tightened up in two years as, as more and more um, you know, restaurants onboard it and bring on these systems. And so I do see that. And then I, I think that there's going to be Less more, yeah, and then and then it was, I think only, it was like what, it was one question, Solomon. It wasn't it wasn't you know, okay, go ahead, keep going. Yeah, and then I think again, it's going to be less fragmented as well. So I think you know we talked about the point of sale. We we all use that this idea of open API. You know, I, I learned this and I chuckle at that because it's like it just means that we're open to allowing another service provider to talk to our data. But to me, again, in, in the same way that I'm saying the actionable steps that even a team member can get from a tool like this. Same thing. Make it super easy. Truly make yep. it plug and play. Don't tell me it's plug and play, but that's going to be 18 months of development before it actually is. I do think that, again, that I, I hate those operators. people. I hate people that tell me it's plug and play and it's 18 months. Right. Later. Oh, it's on, it's on the roadmap. It's on the next sprint. It's like, well, I'm, I'm shaming yeah. them right now. I'm <laughs> shaming them. Shame. Uh, Solomon, that was a great, very, very long answer to a to the crystal ball moment. Uh, that's Jimmy's segment. And we're going to get to the best segment of the entire podcast. It's called the Branded by Shatsy Quickfire. I just added that in there. And it's five lightning round questions for you. Don't think too hard. Just give me first answer that comes to mind. At a theme park, do you prefer games or rides? Rides. Where are you getting dinner from tonight? Uh, probably our HelloFresh subscription nice like it what's your favorite food city in the world seoul south korea nice like the spicy when travel resumes to complete normalcy where is the first place solomon Choi and family will be going i don't know about family but uh, i was gonna I'll say, say you could also answer that without family yeah i'll, I'll answer without <laughs> family um because uh i i did have last year my 40th trip planned for montreal in canada so I'm, I'm going to take a mulligan and, and, and go there as soon as I'm able to do that. So that's without the family, obviously. 
Correct. Yeah, that's probably. If you were to go head-to-head in a game of Wheel of Fortune, who would you have better odds of beating, me or Jimmy? Uh, probably you, based on the the, the questions that were uh, the idiot, the, the stupidity <laughs> level of his questions. He's like, the Shats does not know much. Obviously, I would beat Shats. <laughs> All right, Jimmy, uh, you are now, I think, twenty six. I think twenty six wins to one or two losses at this point. Yeah, yeah, I'm very proud of one of the losses though, because the per- I think I beat you in hopscotch. The person person said he wanted a challenge, and that's why he chose me in the uh, in taking the physical challenge. So I appreciate that. Uh, listen, Solomon, we want to thank you uh, so much for joining us on the hangout and for all your great insights. Uh, we appreciate your hard work and your entire team's work in supporting the industry, not just during this difficult time, but really always. Um, I'll also say purely selfishly, and it's not flattering. But I may have the record of the heaviest uh, large pour at forty-seven dollars. Is that the yeah? What is the biggest? What is the biggest cup pour, uh, Solomon? That's a good one. I had a good pour. The one that I've seen, I think was I think it was twenty-seven dollars, and this was like ten years ago. Um, so yep. yeah, yep. So you got inflation. That's like one hundred eighty dollars now. You really, yeah, you, yeah. You got to go with fruit. You got to go with heavy stuff to really tip the scale. <laughs> but listen right. um, to our to our guest. If you want to uh, get in touch with Solomon directly, uh, you can email Brandon. You'll email uh, Brandon at podcast at Brandon. Solomon, are you are you franchising right now? Are you out there franchising right now? We are franchising. Yes. All right. Well, there you go, man. I got to tell you, I, I, I know from experience because there's one on the Upper East Side and me and the family love it there. And it, it is great product. Great. Everything. Love it. We do love it. And since uh, Shatsy interrupted me as I was giving you the oh, opportunity to tell us how to uh, get in touch with us, it's Damn podcast it's- at brandedstrategic.com. Uh, Shatsy, you want, you want to interrupt me again as I go podcast at brandedstrategic.com. And we'd be happy to connect well, what's you. Solid, solid, what's your cell phone? <laughs> Because we give that out, and then the people can call him. And why bother doing they can, email can, us? They can just call. It could save us the time. I agree. Yeah. But, but if you connect with Brandon, we'd be happy to connect you uh, with Solomon. Just let us know. Um, and make sure you check back on the homepage of this podcast where we included links to download Solomon's ebook, which is fantastic, uh, as well as how you can participate and donate to. Don't forget about the offer, Jimmy. You once again interrupted me as I'm about to say something important to you Solomon. You want to talk about the offer? Were you going to talk about the offer? No, that Solomon is quite philanthropic and charitable, and there's an opportunity to donate to Rethink Food, which is something that Solomon and another bunch of owners and operators have absolutely uh, made a commitment to, and we think you'd enjoy reading about it. So on the homepage of our podcast, you can get Solomon's ebook and also how you can participate uh, to donate to Rethink Food. Now, Shatsy, you want to you want to highlight All our offer? listeners. Solomon is graciously, as Jimmy said, is extremely charitable, donating uh, to Rethink Food. He's also uh, agreed to donate a $100 gift card to all of our listeners today. All you need to do is just call right now and a $100 16 Handles gift card. Thank you, Solomon. You are obviously the fantastic, very philanthropic. And Solomon, I will give you Shatsy's personal credit card number so you can bill all of those things uh, to Shatsy. I'll even even give you the the (laughs) four-digit security code. Um, To our listeners, 
we want to thank you so much for you know tuning in with us. We know there are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and the fact that you choose to hang out with with us is something we appreciate, value, we don't want to take for granted. Probably won't, uh, probably won't hang out with us again, Jimmy. By the way, it's probably our last time seeing Solomon. <laughs> well, listen, and please join us uh, next time as we welcome Zach Goldstein, who's the CEO and founder of Thanks. Uh, we have speaking well, of loyalty, speaking, speaking of, loyalty, of loyalty, well, a lot to talk about with our friend Zach uh, and about his company Thanks. And finally, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast. Podcast, so you don't miss out on any of the exciting guests we'll have coming up in the future. And better yet, please invite a friend to join us and hang out with us the next time. So until then, this is Jimmy Frischling, your finance guy, passing it to my boy Shatsy, but not before thanking our friend and partner, Mr. Solomon Choi, for everything he's doing for us um, in the industry and continued success with 16 Handles, my friend. Thanks, guys. Shatsy? Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Solomon. Uh, from Shatsy, the restaurant guy, and everybody at the hospitality hangout. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Thank you.